welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast from Strong Towns. This is a special Strongest Town contest episode featuring a competitor in the final four round of our competition. So it's my pleasure to welcome representatives from Oxford, Mississippi. So glad to have you all here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So to start, let's go around briefly and um, have each of you introduce yourselves uh, and tell us, uh, you know, what you do in Oxford and maybe how long you have have lived in the city. So Robin Tannehill, Mayor, can you tell us a little about yourself? I can, yes, and it's an honor to be with you today. As she said, I'm Robin Tannehill, and I am honored to serve as the mayor of Oxford, Mississippi. I am in the final few months of my first term, so I've been the mayor for four years. I served on our board of aldermen prior to that for four years, and and it came to Oxford as a freshman at the University of Mississippi in 1988, and I have never left. So I have now lived in Oxford longer than the community I grew up in. So I, I feel like this is certainly my hometown, and. Um, I am thrilled that Oxford is included in this strong town competition. And I would say that Oxford, Mississippi is a very strong town for many different reasons. And we're excited to share those with you. Thank you very much. Let's yeah. go to uh, Ben Roquette in the back there. Tell us a little about yourself. Hey, Rachel. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Ben Roquette. I'm the planning director for the city of Oxford. Uh, I've been with the city for about six years, a little more than six years now. Like the mayor shared, I moved to uh, to Oxford when I uh, came here to attend Ole Miss, and fell in love with the place. and uh, And I've pretty much stayed here and uh, uh, had an opportunity to work in the planning department. and I guess that came up in in 2015. And so happy to he- be here and work with such you know wonderful wonderful people in such a wonderful community. John Maynard, tell us about you. Yeah. So my name is John Maynard. I'm the president and CEO of the Oxford Lafayette County Economic Development Foundation and Chamber of Commerce. So that gives me the longest title in town. But I I moved here about eight years ago. I've been in economic development professionally for about 15 years. And we look at economic development a little bit differently. We we, just like the, the title of the podcast says, we build from the bottom up. So we believe very strongly in growth from the inside out, growing the town without changing the town culturally. Uh, and and doing all the things that that fosters the entrepreneurs and and small businesses and the things that can be very sustainable in an economy. Our economy was ranked in 2020 by Polycom, ranked as the eighth strongest micropolitan in the country. We've held uh, a very uh, high ranking on that list for more than a dozen years, and uh, we're really proud of doing that. And I'm lucky to actually be working here with people like Ben Requet and Mayor Robin Tannehill because they're the ones who are really making a difference and allowing me to do the things that we, we do on the economic side to make it work. Great. Thank you. Mayor Tannehill, can we start by um, hearing a little bit about how your town has adapted to the economic and community challenges brought about by the last year of the pandemic? Absolutely. You know, the the past year has dealt us a hand that um, no one could have really anticipated the depth of. We we look now back um, to 12 months ago when we really began adapting just on the fly. It's been a very fluid situation. And I think one of the reasons that our town has made it through successfully is because we have been very fluid in our decision making. If we have decided something one day and the facts and the data change two days later, we met again and tried to adapt. So we we have been, I believe, successful in numerous ways. From the beginning, we took it seriously. 
We were, even prior to um, our governor and our state leaders declaring safer at home um, issues and requiring masks, we did that in Oxford because we knew that with a population of a, a large number of 18 to 24 year olds on campus, and we also are a community that attracts large numbers of retirees. And we knew that both of those groups needed something very different during a pandemic. So balancing lives and livelihoods was our focus for the past 12 months, knowing both of those need very different things to survive during a pandemic. Um, we have tried to think outside of the box. When nothing was off the table, we have brainstormed daily for the past year, how do we support our businesses? How do we protect? the people in our community without strangling our economy. And I think we have found about as good a balance as we could. From the very beginning, we set up curbside delivery options, free parking in front of all of our businesses, not just for dining, but for retail as well. We quickly, once um, it became evident that we could start to gather at least in smaller groups, set up outdoor dining all over our downtown area, taking in all of the parking and things. We, you know, there was, there was nothing that was off limits. We allowed people to, to publicize themselves in, in ways with signage and any, anything that they could do to make the public aware of the services that were being offered then, we said, please do. We held lots of Zoom meetings with small business owners with different categories of businesses from retail to dining and bars. And, you know, it was it was a group effort that that is what makes Oxford so strong. And I think it's what helped us pull together during a pandemic is everyone comes to the table with the attitude of how do we solve this problem? How do we leave Oxford better than we found it? We knew that there are three stages of the pandemic. There's the response stage, the recovery stage and rebuilding. We have been looking towards rebuilding as we came through the response stage and as we're currently in the recovery stage. And, and we are committed to supporting our local businesses, but also in helping our public reconnect with each other. You know, not only the business community has been hurt by a year of closures and social distancing and things, but the fabric of our community has been hurt by not being able to gather in ways that we're used to. So we spent a lot of time thinking about how we help people reconnect safely because the people are what makes Oxford so special. Thank you. Yeah, that's great to hear about. As your town is working to become you know, more financially resilient for the future, what steps has, has the community, the government, the, the city as a whole taken that you are most proud of that you think will have a lasting impact on the future of the community? Mayor Tannehill, we can start with you and maybe um, other folks could jump in if they would Absolutely. like to. Absolutely. Well, you know, the one thing I will say is for a year, we have heard people uh, from the national level down say we can't wait to get back to normal. Well, I don't feel that way. I don't want us to get back to normal. I want us to be better than we were before this pandemic hit. I want us to be more resilient, more sustainable, more equitable than we were before March of 2020. And so we've tried to put pieces in place that will take us into the future. And, and we've tried to learn from all of the challenges of the past year. One thing in particular is I mentioned the outdoor dining. 
We found that not only did that allow our restaurants and bars and retail establishments to be able to adapt to these lower capacities indoors by providing extra capacity outdoors, but we found that our citizens adore it and feel safer dining in those kinds of environments. So beginning the weekend after the University of Mississippi's graduation, we will get to graduation time and it, it slows down generally for a few months during the summer. And we are starting a large construction project on one side of our square that we hope we will be able to do um, in different areas of our downtown area in the years to come. But we are widening our sidewalks to 25 feet so that we can allow for year round outdoor dining and um, outdoor gathering. It will become more pedestrian friendly. We are going to plant trees. We're going to have benches, things that draw people to our thriving downtown business district and allow for these businesses to regain certainly some of the ground that they lost over the previous year by helping them greatly increase their capacities. And we are we are doing that all over the downtown area. And we are finding that businesses that, that don't need the city's help in doing that because they own their parking lots, these downtown businesses must use city-owned property to be able to expand. So that's that's our focus there, but we're finding businesses across the community are doing that, that we can promote. And I think that that will certainly help them in um, the coming months as, as we all look to rebuild. John or Ben, do you want to add anything about, you know, what you're most proud of that your community has done to, to build yeah. a real financial stability for the future? So during, during COVID, what, what we discovered was we, we had lots of surveys that went out, lots of questions, lots of personal phone calls to find out how the businesses were doing at each stage of, of all this going on. What we discovered pretty quickly was that there's a lot of businesses that were able to innovate quickly and make the changes they needed to be able to serve curbside. We actually had a, a it's a, a local, it's a kind of a national restaurant chain that was started here called Nukes. I spoke with one of the Nukes managers and within a month of, uh, well, by, by April or May or so of last year, they were showing positive revenues. So it was, you know, it, it was it was really remarkable for them to recover. Now the downside of that was they had to, to put a lot of people out of work, but they were were serving the public. They were doing what they needed to do, but they also had all this stuff left over that they didn't need anymore, like toilet paper and and you know whatever, even some some of their supplies. They were selling that to the public on the curbside. That was a very innovative thought process. We have seen the businesses and the people in, in this community. Uh, that would innovate were the ones that were going to be survivors and going to be successful. And I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that we are a community of innovators. This is, this is not something new. This is something that we've been doing for a long time, way before my getting here. But being able to see this in, in motion, where the businesses, where the, 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 the local government, when, when put out, you put plans in place for sign ordinances and things like that, you say, okay, we got to break this for a little while because it's important. And the, that they could be innovative and develop the things that they did at that level. And then in tr having that trickle out into the personalities and the people in the businesses that could be innovative and, be, and, and overcome this as well as they did. Uh, it means that we've got a sustainable community, a really sustainable economy. And th I think that's what I'm really most proud of is the innovation and that, that spirit that we have throughout the community. You know, on a more technical side from the city standpoint, um, while we did have a brief period in time where, um, you know, development and, you know, while everybody was, you know, kind of on lockdown, where everything just kind of ceased to take place for a period of time, it quickly began, the development community began to ramp up very quickly and start looking ahead to future projects. 
And so we actually had to look within, within our processes of how we can become more efficient and how can we continue to provide the services that are required to be able to make our community continue and thrive and be prosperous. I think I'm most proud of uh, that we've become more efficient. Uh, we have found ways to, uh, in spite of working remotely and, and being in different places, find ways to overcome that, not only just to do what we normally did, but actually to become better. And how can we break down the, uh, you know, the time that it takes to, you know, review a project, get it front, get it through the, you know, the site plan review phase to actually to the permitting phase. And, and you know, after being here through much of, you know, the, uh, I guess the last six years, which is a, a, a very large growth boom for the city of Oxford, you know, I can say we've been as busy now as we were five years ago when, when it, you know, we thought it was at its peak. And so to find ways that we can actually reduce the time that it takes for us to review a set of plans and evaluate whether or not, you know, is compliant with our codes and things like that uh, and continue the development community to prosper and can find ways to protect, you know, and, and foster, uh, you know, the things that our community needs is, uh, is something I'm probably most proud of. So let's turn a little bit more towards um, where you want the community to to grow and improve. Um, what are the areas that you think are most important for Oxford to change, to adjust, to get better on in, in the coming months and years? Mayor Tanhill, let's start with you. Okay. Well, you know, one thing that we that we know is that there are always areas that we can improve upon. And so the past year, I think, has shown us some of those more vividly than than we have seen in previous times. And it has also given us the opportunity to rally some groups together to serve segments of our community that have needed it the most. So, you know, I've said often during the pandemic, the pandemic, it certainly brings out the worst you know, in some people, which you can glance at social media to confirm that quickly, or you can hold on to the folks that it brought out the best in. And so in our community, we have seen numerous groups form to support those who needed it the most during that time, the people who are in our hospitality industry, which is not, those are not high paying jobs. And they were the jobs that certainly we saw diminish as, as hotels were, were not booked and as restaurants had decreased capacities and, and all of those things. And so seeing the community step up to to embrace and set up funds to support these folks and these families during this time, finding ways to, to feed people. You know, I mean, at our most basic core needs, we have had across our community little free libraries for just boxes that look like birdhouses kind of that are full of books for people to take one, leave one, what have you. Well, we transitioned those into little free pantries for this period of time. And so it is. it has caused us to think a little deeper on how do we meet people where they are? We knew that there were people that at this period of time who had never found themselves in need of help with food. They just had not been in that position that were and, and weren't even sure where to turn to to look during these times. And so how do we provide for them in an easy way? You don't have to fill out paper. You don't have to you know, bring an ID. You, if you need food, you go get food. And so I think we will see some of those things translate into larger projects 
to serve segments of our community that perhaps we haven't served as well as we should. Affordable housing, um, that is something that we have spent a lot of time talking about and have made some real progress in in the past few years, we adopted an ordinance that incentivizes folks to build affordable housing. We appointed a, a housing commission. We held our first affordable housing summit. We have different committees that are researching different ways and methods for us as city government to make affordable housing a realistic opportunity. We annexed a large, we were 16 square miles and annexed an additional 10 square miles. Um, of primarily undeveloped land in hopes of that spurring on more reasonable development costs. Um, our real estate costs are, um, people are very proud of their property in Oxford. I had one developer tell me that he'd never been anywhere where they sold land by the tablespoon. And I thought, you know, sadly, um, in a lot of areas, that is correct. So how do we address that? That's not okay. How do we address that? Well, we annex undeveloped areas and, and we try to help, you know, growth is a challenge here. That's something that will continue to be a focus for us. How do we continue to encourage growth and protect the parts of our community that we treasure? So we will continue to work on planning issues in order to preserve what we love most about our community. We will continue to address affordable housing. And I'm proud to say we have 96 units that have been built over the past 20 months of affordable rentals. And um, we will continue to find ways to serve the folks in our community that need us the most. This next question comes from a Strong Towns member who wrote a commentary uh, about Oxford in the in the last round, Catherine, and she wanted to know a little bit more about um, citizen involvement in decision making. Maybe John can speak to this as as someone who's not at the heart of the government. What has been your experience of residents being involved in public decision making in building up the community? beyond maybe just like public meetings and things. Do you have a response to that one? Absolutely, I do. I've lived in a, in a, in a large number of communities. I've traveled around as a, a kid, as an army brat, and then I've worked in economic development in about four different cities. And I can honestly say after that professional, let's look at communities from a, a kind of a holistic perspective, Oxford is by far more publicly, more communally involved than any other community I've ever been in. So, you know, I came here and I started learning about through the Chamber of Commerce office, all these different people that were coming to meet in our office, what they did, everything from early childhood education to the food pantry. There are so many organizations here and, and publicly involved groups. We've got multiple community markets in, in this small town because they want to feed that uh, the agriculture as well as the, the some of the food issues that may some food insecurity issues they may have. I've never seen a community that really spends more time uh, being interactive with the government, both good and bad, than I, I've seen that anywhere. I, in a lot of cases, I see there's the, the, the mayor and city council or whatever their, their leadership is, and you see the, the people complaining to them. Uh, in this case, you're seeing an awful lot of back and forth where there's, there's mutual respect, mutual cooperation. And then when you get to the, the people who uh, who live here, who want to be engaged, they get immediately engaged. One of the things that we do in our organization, uh, 30 years ago, we, we launched into, uh, in, with our Economic Development Foundation, first program that we, we created was a retirement attraction program. What we've discovered is that these, are, these retirees, we attract active retirees, so that, that 55 and older group, 
And the first thing they ask when they come here is, how can I get involved? What can I do to be a part of the community? Part of my job is attracting, working with physician recruitment at the hospital. The, even the physicians who are going to be working night and day all the time are asking the questions, how can I get involved? And it's, it's a very simple matter of, here's our list of, of, of organizations. Here's somebody we can introduce you to. And they, they kind of wind themselves up and find it. But I've never been in, in, in a community that is as proud of, of who they are and where they live and want to protect it and want to tell people about it as Oxford, Mississippi. So that component of it is what drives people to be much more engaged in what goes on. Now, there's the negative side. There's the people that want to throw rocks at, uh, at the mayor on a constant basis. But there's also the people who are, are, are in there actively engaged in doing some of the things that the city needs to get done. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a group of developers recently, and uh, they, they asked me the point blank question. They, 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 have, they work in large cities. They've never worked in a small town. And they came and they said, OK, what's the what's the planning process here? How long is it going to take us to get to market? And there's the, the, the Chamber of Commerce guy in me who should be saying it should take one day and that's it. Just make it happen. But I said, our, our city planner and our government are very careful about what we do here because the people care about where, where they live. And I'm the Chamber of Commerce guy. And I'm telling you, our economy is strong and thriving because of that. You should be respectful of it. And it's going to take a, a little bit longer than some places, a little bit shorter than others. But we're going to we're going to do it right. We're going to do it right the first time. And they didn't bat an eye, absolutely said, we respect that and we would want, we, we want to work with communities that are like that. But that's just that even the developers that are coming into town want to respect the, what the community is doing, what the people want, what the, the culture drives, and they're making big strides because of, of that simple uh, factor, that people factor. I think one thing, Rachel, that, that we have even focused more keenly on over the past year is providing a platform for the public to have a voice. You know, I was thinking back as John was talking about the things over the past four years from our Vision 2037 plan that we have put in place where we invited the public. I, I wish I could tell you how many public forums we held in, you know, in developing that plan. I can't even remember, but get it, we want the we want the public to envision what they want to see in their community 20 years from now, not, not the folks at City Hall telling you what your community should be 20 years from now. And so we involved the public all along the way. You know, we built a parking garage. We invited the downtown business owners to five or 10 different meetings where we start talking about that and pricing structures and how can we best support your business while providing this extra parking that can't be free. Um, we, in, we put in place an alcohol ordinance a few years ago. We invited every restaurant and bar owner and package store owner to public forums to discuss. We don't write it and then say, here it is. We say, help us write it. And we just did that with the sound ordinance where we went as far as to have sound demonstrations at bars in residential areas. Um, we got someone from our National Center for Physical Acoustics to come and, and to say, this is, this is, you know, what this many decibels sounds like. So we're not saying here's a plan with numbers. This is what we're doing. We're saying, hey, join us at the table to talk about it. We're establishing commissions for different topics from um, the Mayor's Commission um, on Disability to our Pathways Commission to a commission on police transparency and affordable housing commission. We are, we are looking for ways that people want to give input and be a part of finding solutions. And we are establishing platforms for them to be able to do just that. And one thing I'd like to add, uh, the, the mayor and board 
are really good to listen and allow for ideas to actually, uh, um, you know, take place. So the Pathways Commission that the, the, the mayor mentioned, that's a, a group that actually looks at transportation, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, a transportation related uh, issues or uh, planning. And so for several years now, they've actually put in place uh, demonstrate, uh, I guess we would call them uh, pop-up complete street projects where uh, we take a, a road and temporarily for, you know, even as long as I think about 90 days, three, three months or so, actually take over a four lane uh, section of road, turn it down into two lanes with maybe a turn lane, have bike lanes, put in crosswalks at, at one of the, you know, the busiest junctures where students are crossing that, that road daily and uh, we allowed it to, you know, to, to help us imagine what it could look like and it should look like. And so as we begin to prepare for our longer term capital improvement projects, we can actually take that, that, those, uh, those plans into consideration. So we're, we're almost done here, but I wanted to ask, uh, in the spirit of friendly competition and, and lifting up all the towns that are part of this contest and, and throwing their name in the ring, um, do you have any comments on your current competitor in this round, uh, Bentonville, Arkansas? I don't know if any of you have, have been there or have had a chance to read um, their, their participation in this contest. But yeah, any, any thoughts on Bentonville? I was in Bentonville for a uh, Heartland Forward Summit, and I can honestly say I was I was deeply impressed with what Bentonville is doing. All I could think of was Bentonville is able to do what they're doing because they've got lots and lots of of capital in place there, lots of lots of, of attraction. We're mm-hmm. doing the same things, and we're doing it as well, if not better, than Bentonville on a shoestring budget compared to what they've got. And we I would also say, have a Walmart. <laughs> That's right. We also have a Walmart. <laughs> I'm thriving. I've really well run Walmart. Right. Uh, it's giving you know, COVID vaccinations as we speak. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, Bent- Bentonville is a great town. Oxford is is Bentonville without uh, the, the the capital and other things to be able to drive it. Gotcha. Um, so last thing, real quick here, um, something that stood out to me in your your application was. Um, this double decker music festival, um, which sounds like quite a lot of fun. I'm sure that that, you know, had to be canceled or modified greatly last year. Do you think that that it'll be able to happen in some fashion this year or we're looking at um, maybe next year for for a full music festival again? Well, the double decker actually the one that was canceled last year would have been our 25th annual double decker. Mm. And so we were, as you can imagine, just so sick to have to cancel it. Yeah. This year, um, we, we are not able to do it in the same fashion that people are used to. We usually draw 60 to 70,000 people to Oxford for Double Decker. And so when you, when you had to pull the trigger with all of those entertainment groups and things, we just weren't confident enough that in April we would be ready to invite that many folks to our community. So what we've done instead is we've come up with two months of celebrations. Um, we have several different events planned every week started, that started in March and will go through June. And so we are having lots of mini celebrations, lots of, we've got 
a bike race, several runs, a car show. We are we are also helping build back our artist community by having some art booths and having local musicians play so that we can pay them and stimulate that artist economy that has been hurt so much over the past year. So we're finding ways to both, you know, to, certainly create some um, some tourism and start building back our hotel economy and our bars and restaurants, but also our artists, both, both our fine artists and our musicians. So it will not be the same Double Decker, but we are going to have next year um, the 25th, the official 25th Double Decker Arts Festival in Oxford, the last weekend in April, and it will be fantastic. It's interesting that you, you pinpointed on that because the brainchild who actually created that Double Decker Arts Festival was the, uh, the, the lo lovely lady you see sitting here as our mayor. So that was Robin Tannehill's actual brainchild to build it, put it together, wow. and it has been growing ever since. I was the tourism director 25 years ago. So. Ah, okay. That was, uh, you know, and, and I think this is what Oxford's still doing. Um, 25 years ago when I started Double Decker, it's because I knew we needed to celebrate what Oxford's doing best, and that's music, food, and art. And luckily, that is still what we are celebrating in Oxford, Mississippi, along with many other things. And we get asked often, you know, you've made these different lists, or, or Oxford has made these different lists, or the University of Mississippi's gorgeous campus, or what have you. So what's the secret sauce? You know, what, what is it about Oxford? And, you know, there are a lot of college communities that have a really cool cultural atmosphere. There are a lot of communities that have historic architecture and tree-lined streets and great education systems and those kinds of things. So what makes Oxford different? It's the people. And that's what you can't recreate in any other town. And the people of Oxford are strong. And we have weathered a whole lot of storms. And we have come out on the other side better and stronger than we were before. And that's what we're still doing today. Wonderful. Well, thank you all. Um, for our listeners, you can learn more about this contest and vote in this matchup by visiting strongtowns.org slash strongest town. Mayor Tannehill, John Maynard, Ben Requette, thank you and good luck to your town in this phase of the contest. Uh, it's been really impressive to, to learn about Oxford and it was wonderful to get to speak with you all. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks.